Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in today to the Move Podcast. I'm your host, Scotty Carlisle, and today we have an extra special guest. You know, I, I always have special guests on this podcast, but today is going to be extra special. And the reason is Elijah Stacy. concept for move is M, make a difference. Oh, to offer up your time, talent, and gifts. B, there's victory in the small things, and E, to encourage others. And so, I started to move. So, I think you'll probably do a better job than I would at, at introducing yourself, but then we'll get into how we met and all that kind of stuff. So who are you? Uh, well, I'm Elijah Stacy. I'm 19 years old. Uh, I guess what I'm probably most known, known for is um, starting a nonprofit organization, Destroy to Shin, at, uh, when I was 15 years old. So that's kind of what I do. And I do a, quite a bit of different things, but... So, wait, okay, Destroy to Shin. Yeah. What is that? So Destroy to Shin is the nonprofit I founded. Um, and basically, it's an organization that aims to cure the disease that I suffer from, the shin muscular dystrophy. And I can explain that. But our mission is to advance gene editing and gene therapy into human practice. So to advance gene editing yeah. and gene therapy That's correct. into human practice. That's correct. Okay, yeah. that sounds kind of complicated. Yeah. Wait, how old are you again? 19. Gene editing. Yes. So what is gene editing? Yeah, so gene editing is basically the ability for us to be able to edit your DNA code. Um, and we can correct spelling errors, which is basically what the causes of genetic diseases. And so I don't know if you've heard of things like CRISPR-Cas9, you know, it's always in the news, stuff like that. Uh, we want to be able to advance that so we can get into human practice and correct diseases for people that have the shin. Um, and just really, I want to see all medical science be advanced forward in general so that people can um, not have to suffer from the diseases the way they do today. So... Gene editing, it's basically is something that goes in that, is it CRISPR or CRISP9? What is it, CRISPR9? Uh, what is that? Uh, CRISPR-Cas9, yes. CRISPR-Cas9. So that's a form of gene editing. Okay, and it just goes and finds it some gene and it, yeah, so, how does that work? Yeah, so how it works is, uh, it's really cool. So um, basically, CRISPR, right, is bacteria's immune um, system, right? And so we, we discovered that. And what it does is it has these certain um, slots, basically. And what happens is when, um, a virus um, tries to inject itself into the bacteria. Uh, the bacteria's immune system, CRISPR, what it does is it remembers that DNA, basically, that the virus is injecting in. And once it remembers it, um, the next time that virus tries to inject itself into the bacteria, it already has it remembered. So it remembers that specific DNA code. And what happens is, is the Cas9 protein, that's the other part of the CRISPR-Cas9, right? Um, the Cas9 protein, it goes in and then it destroys that viral DNA. Uh, once it identifies it. So it uses it as a defense mechanism uh, against viruses. And so that's it. bacteria's immune system. And so what we figured out is that we could do the same thing where we can um, basically use that and then go in inside your DNA, find the part of the DNA that you want to cut out or edit. And uh, we put donor DNA in addition to that. So um, I don't know, uh, say there's a part of your DNA that has a spelling error. We'll go ahead and code for that. That has a what? Spelling error. Okay. Right, spelling error. Um, we go in, we'll find that, and then the Cas9 protein will cut that part out. Um, and what we can do is attach donor DNA to it, 
and then your body or right will naturally accept the donor DNA and then it'll just substitute it in. So the way I like to explain this to people is imagine that you have a spelling uh, or imagine you have a page in a book and you have a spelling error. Uh, I went to red. I went to red. That doesn't really make sense, right? So the reader's confused. But then if you were to change just one letter, uh, the R to B, right? If we were just to change one letter, now it would make sense to the reader. I went to bed. And that's really how genetic diseases work, right? You have Duchenne, you have a spelling error. Um, and so if we could just fix that, then this disease wouldn't uh, keep progressing. We'd be able to halt the disease. And, and, and scientists have already done this, right? We've done it in, in uh, mice. We've done it in dogs. We've even done it in a, a patient with Duchenne's heart cells outside of the body, right? Ex vivo. Um, and so it's really cool stuff. And like, I'm really, really excited about it. And so it's my mission. It's our organization's mission to, to get this into human practice so that we can put it, we can minimize human suffering. You know, I like that. Uh, so you've obviously had Duchenne's for a while. When since did you, I was born. When did mm -hmm. you, oh, since you were born. Yeah, you're, you're born with it. It's a genetic disease. Oh, got it. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit about your family. Uh, in terms of what? Just in terms of who, like how, how many people in your yeah, family yeah. who, you know. Yeah. So my mom and dad, um, you know, I was, I grew up on the football field. My daddy was served as the head football coach at Roosevelt High School. He opened the school up. Um, so I've always been there. It really helped me develop my competitive spirits. I'd say that being on the football field also has ingrained, you know, teamwork into me and, and working hard and entrepreneur type of values, right? Um, and then, you know, my mom's really, really nice lady. She, she cares about her kids more than she does herself. She's just a great lady, the greatest woman I know. And, and then I have my older brother, Will. Um, he's in the Army Reserves. He's also um, a paramedic. Um, so he's a really, really cool guy. And then there's me, I'm second old, oldest. And then uh, my little brother, Max, he passed away actually when he was 14. Um, and so he had to shin, but he also had other health. How long ago was that? Uh, 2019, January 3rd. Two years ago. Yeah. So that's a whole story itself. That's really um, significant. Um, so significant that actually I, I wrote two chapters in my book about Max. Right. So he, out of any person, he's got the most chapters in my book. Um, and then my littlest brother, um, Kai, he's uh, 13 and he has uh, Duchenne as well. So back to, so what's the middle brother's name again? Max. Okay, so Max, when did he, so he was born with it as well. Yes. And how, what's the time frame between you guys? How how much older are you than him? Uh, three years. And then how much older was he than? Uh, Kai? Kai. Six years, I think. Got it. So you said that it's significant, but I don't know what that means. Uh, in terms of Max? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is it significant? Yeah, because so Max was, so the background is this. When Max was born, he had to have a heart um, surgery done, right? And, you know, 99% success, 99 success rate, nothing, nothing to go wrong here. And uh, it went wrong. And what happened is, long story short, it caused a massive stroke in his brain, caused permanent brain damage. And uh, because of that, you know, he was confined to a bed his whole life. Uh, he couldn't see, he couldn't talk, cognitively delayed, right? So we had a full-time nurse uh, basically living at our house, in a, in a sense, right? Um, and so that was really significant. We didn't know that he had to shin right away um, either. So that was, that came later, but he had health complications 
and addition on top of it, right? So, so you know, you eventually got a feeding tube, right? Constantly going in and out of the hospital. And so I say it's significant because I was always going to the hospital as a little kid, you know, I'd be asleep and it'd be one o'clock in the morning, we're rushing to the hospital, like stuff like that, right? Um, that's just really abnormal. And, um, you know, my parents would be there all the time, and, you know, so I'd be taking care of my little brother or it was just us, right? So stuff like that. When does the Duchenne start having serious Notice, repercussions? Yeah, yeah, I'd say about when you're five years old, uh, at least for me. And the reason that is, is because, um, so I used to walk, right? So your leg muscle, so this, let, let's, let's start with Duchenne. Duchenne is a, is a muscle wasting disease, right? And so as time progresses, the person gets weaker, right? And I, I can explain why that is, but we'll just start with the, with the basics, right? And so uh, when I was five, you know, I'm not able to keep up with my friends on the playground, not able to go upstairs as easy, you know, getting fatigued a lot easier, you know, not being able to walk long distances, stuff like that. Falling to the floor very frequently is something that's really common amongst kids with Duchenne. It's one of the common signs in the way you'd get up off the floor. Um, and one of the most noticeable signs is that kids with Duchenne walk on their toes, right? They walk on their tippy toes. That's because their legs are getting weaker and so they're substituting muscles to still perform the action of walking. And so that would be um, what was really noticeable. And the, and the way that my mom actually noticed or what got our attention was, you know, um, there's other things like, you know, I couldn't really uh, ride a tricycle or stuff like that as well. And, you know, teachers would take notice of that at my school and just stuff like that. But, you know, my parents were really concerned with Max at the time because he was, you know, they just had Max and all the uh, health problems that he had and stuff like that. Um, but what really did it is my mom wanted to measure my height. And so she tells me to go up to the wall and measure my height. And... Um, for, for to get a car seat or, whatever, or not a car seat, but just so I could sit, you know, so I don't have to sit in a car seat anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so my mom, she's like, hey, you know, put your put your heels down. We got to measure your height. And she thought I was messing around with her. I was like, I'm not messing around. She thought I was being a spaz, you know, just messing around, just kind of going against her. Um, but that's when she really took a notice, like, okay, he can't put his he can't put his heels down. That's abnormal, right? Of course. You know, go to the doctor, and that just starts the whole process there. Wow. And it's not like you get a test when you're born to see if you have Duchenne. So, so then now this came up on the radar, went to the doctor and, and then how exactly do, do they find out you have Duchenne's and how do they s specify that disease? Yeah, me in particular. Okay. So, um, well, for me in particular, you know, they, they ran blood tests and did stuff like that, but to really make sure they did a muscle biopsy on my leg. So they took a piece of muscle and ran into the lab. That's how they confirmed it. But the what what's noticeable is um within so the way the shin works, right? Let's let's get into the science of it. This will make a lot more sense. So inside of your myocyte cells, your muscle cells, um, you have this thing that kind of acts like a pillar or what I call a support beam. At the top, you have the cell membrane, right? And that regulates the cell, what comes in and out of the cell. And that's really important, right? Mm -hmm. And so then what holds that cell membrane up is called the, um, uh, it's like, it's dystrophin, right? It's the dystrophin protein. And basically this acts, like I said, as a pillar. So imagine you have the roof, cell membrane, and then imagine you have the support beam, uh, dystrophin. But my blueprint, if you will, right, that builds mm -hmm. this house, doesn't encode for the dystrophin, right? So there's it's lacking dystrophin. So every time you contract your muscles, 
right? That cell membrane rips, that roof caves in on itself, right? Got because it. Because there's no support beam to hold it up. It's like invisible. And so with inside the, the cell, you have proteins which get activated at unnatural rates because you have things entering the cell, chemicals, like calcium, for example, and that activates the proteins and it tells the cell to self-destruct. So that's why muscles are deteriorating faster than they should be because that dystrophin is missing. So it doesn't, it's letting in unnatural amounts of chemicals. The other reason I bring this up is because another um, enzyme gets released, which is called creatine kinase. And that gives basically energy to the cell. So that's why um, people with the shin, especially the kids, they get very fatigued because their energy part is getting released unnaturally uh, in unnatural amounts. And so why do I, and the, here's, the, here's the main point. Within your bloodstream, if you see a high level of um, CPK levels, right? Creatine, kinase. Mm -hmm. You see high levels of that. It's a good indicator that the person has the shin because it's off the charts. It's ridiculously high. Got it. It's just releasing all of the energy. Yeah. And then which has another, a bunch of other repercussions that they probably don't even have a good handle on, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> but the main one is, you know, the, the muscle cells are going to deteriorate, right? So that's... So now they find out that you have Duchenne. Mm -hmm. How long until you had to use a wheelchair? Yeah, so when I was 11. 11 is when I lost my ability to walk in. Um, <laughs> I was always the, the type of person that, you know, we, we had the wheelchair before I was 11. And it was in the garage. And I'm the type of person that, like, I don't like when people say, oh, yeah, you know, doctor, say, hey, why don't you use this wheelchair? You know, my parents, you know, wheelchair. And I look at the wheelchair every time before, you know, going in the garage, like, I'm never going to use that wheelchair, right? I was stubborn. I was determined never to use the wheelchair, had to use the wheelchair. But that's just the type of mindset that I'm in. I, I never wanted to let this disease um, get the best of me, and I still don't. Right? I still do everything the same. But, yeah, I was 11 when I uh, became a full-time wheelchair user. And now you ha you're in a wheelchair and your little brother, Max, was already in a wheelchair? Oh, uh, no, he uh, was confined to a bed. Cause he oh, had, so, he, so his whole life he's been confined to a bed? Yeah, and then he passed away when he was 14. Wow. Okay, and then Kai, when did Kai, when did it start affecting Kai and how did that happen? Basically the same thing, you know, six and I think he went in a wheelchair around 10, 11, around that time. Got it. So your family has, the, so Duchenne's has really played in a, uh, has really had a major effect on your family. Oh, definitely. How's Kai's attitude about everything? Yeah, so um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I'm trying to see how I could best word this, but so Kai, well, the really cool thing about it, um, and this is not me giving myself more credit and patting myself on the back, but since I'm, you know, the, first one with it type of thing. He's kind of seen that, you know, I'm able to accomplish a lot, still have a bunch of friends, still have a good time with life, you know? So he doesn't really see, he's very positive. He doesn't even realize that, okay, I have a significant disease, right? So kind of just, he's a lot more, um, less serious than I am. He's always laughing and, you know, showing me memes and just stuff I play. He has a, he just got a VR, right? So he's in his wheelchair, you know, doing the <laughs> VR. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is, what has happened, right? We had video games and now we put the TV screen two, two inches away from your eyes, right? So, so that's how Kai is. That can kind of tell you his personality and his attitude. What's his favorite game? Honestly, I don't even know. Do you play it? VR? I, I played it. I tried it one time um, a couple of days ago with him. And, you know, this little kid was just killing me all the time. And so I just gave up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's no fun. <laughs> so. 
So what what do you do then if you don't play games? What mm-hmm. how do you pass time? Yeah. So um, I mean, t- okay. To be honest with you, like I, I well, lie to me first and then be honest after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not a lie though. This is this this part's true. That honestly, uh, a lot of fun I like to have is with my friends or my girlfriend. That's how I spend most of my time. Right. That's what I like to do. Um, I like to be with my family. You know, I like to just do stuff like that. You know, listen to music, um, reading books. I mean, like honestly, like I I like to work and and accomplish things and like get you know give speeches or do like podcasts like we're doing now or um, just making change or reading books to obtain knowledge to help solve a problem. You know, that's the kind of reader I am. Um, stuff like that um, is what I like to do to to have fun. Right. What's your favorite book? That's that's not. I mean, that's a. You don't have a favorite book. It depends. Is what the answer? Yeah, What's I mean, the, what like there's so many different types of books. What's the last one that you read that is the first one that comes to your mind? I don't know because I read like five books at once. Because um, I, I seriously read books to, like I got books in biology, which is like you know mm-hmm. deal with the stuff that we're talking about. I got books in investing. I love it. Love investing. Very passionate about investing, and not this type of. Um, Oh, this is gonna. This is kind of controversial, but not a day trader. I'm not into you know. You didn't make a bunch of money off of Bitcoin, GameStop, yeah, 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 or Bitcoin. You know, none of that. So, um, but I love that. You know, Warren Buffett's my guy, right? So I, I, I fully follow his philosophy and stuff like that. Um, Do you have any investments? Yeah, a lot In of the stock market or yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Yeah. A, a lot of it. So we can, we can talk about that if you want, but um, talk about anything, man. Okay, I, yeah, I'm just so curious. I'm curious what of, happens in, with Elijah Stacy. In, ter- yeah. in terms of investing, I, I, um, so for growth stocks, right. My philosophy is really this. I, I really, I'm really big on, so I don't really buy into the whole notion that, you know, learning this stuff can make you super rich or whatever or whatever. And I don't think that should be the goal, right? I don't think everyone needs to be a millionaire or a billionaire, but I think that with the proper financial education, um, you can be, you know, financially free in the sense that you can have enough assets that cover your expenses to where you can do what you want. Or even if you can't even do that, you can still have additional income another source of income coming in to where you can cover things and just make life easier. Right. That's what my belief is. And so, I'm, I'm really big on dividend investing, you know, buying companies that literally just pay you cash just for owning them. I'm a real big on that, but then I'm also real big on growth stocks. And I think that CRISPR, right, is a great place to to get um, invested in. DNA sequencing, anything along the lines of that, I think is going to really grow in it. And it has. So what about pharmaceuticals? Like, as yeah, far definitely. as, yeah. yeah. Do you have... How many medications do you have to take? A bunch of medications, not very many. Uh, for for Duchenne, yeah. For Duchenne, yeah. I take a what is called the Flazacort. Um, so I really only just take about one medicine, yeah. Well, that's and that's good. a it's a steroid that it's supposed to stop inflammation. And we we explained inflammation earlier, right? We explained it with the with your cells deteriorating, right? That's inflammation happening. Got it. So and I was just curious because does that the pharmaceutical company that has that medicine would would you buy that stock or have you bought that stock? uh honestly i don't know if any of the companies i own on that really the pharmaceuticals that i'm interested in are I, i'm interested in in people that are going to or companies that are going to do things with either gene editing or gene therapy i, I fully agree with that um 100 i 
it's you know, the next frontier. A hundred percent. And the thing is too is um like I don't know if you know who Kathy Wood is, she's an investor. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's super, super big on that and she's probably the biggest like CRISPR investor that I know of. Um but no, I mean like I, I understand the the science and the stuff um very very well and because of that, I'm very confident that it's going to to work. And so I think it's a great investment. Um, you know, Warren Buffett, right? He says to have your circle of competence, right? And don't invest in things that are outside your circle. This is my circle of competence. You know, other things I don't know as well. I'll, I'll leave that. I won't touch that because I'm not going to just invest in something I don't know. Just because someone tells you it's a good investment doesn't mean that you should invest in it. You should invest in things that you understand really well, right? And so investing isn't just like, I think at least it's not just a thing that you just, um, you know, it's not something that you just kind of like do here and there, but you got to really do It's It's not easy is what I'm saying. It's, it's mm -hmm. a lot of work if you want to do it right. Right. If you want to actually make it to where it's an investment and not a gamble, you put in, you put in the work, you do the reading in the industry. So if it's, if it's CRISPR, you read biology books, you, you listen to experts, you try to understand it, you get someone to explain it to you who knows it, right? You, you take that time to do that. And once you do that, then you can make better investment decisions, right? It's not just a gamble. It's not just, well, I hope it goes up. Yeah, people try to time the market and they say, it's not timing the market, it's time in market. Yeah, So the longer exactly. you have, usually if you have a younger investor, you have a lot longer time horizon. And then if something goes south and you always have time to make it up. And I have some experience with investing myself and as a financial advisor. So I've done that and been on the brokerage side and been mm. on the person that, hey, check this out. Yes. Elijah, this is the investments that are out there and these are options that you have. And so I know about that. I rarely, if any, I'm trying to think of any 19 year olds, 18 or 19 year olds. I never had a 19 year old client. It was always their parents that would set them up. But so it's really cool to hear your story and where your mind is, you know, that's not, your mind is in a more mature and elevated maturity level, I guess, than, mm -hmm. than most people your age. Why do you think that is? Definitely. Oh, well, you know what? I don't know, actually. I, I would, I would, it's easy to go because you're in a wheelchair because you had a lot of adversity. And I definitely think that's a huge factor, but, you know, talking to my mom and, and, uh, parents, you know, uh, you ever seen that movie or not even seen it, but just see, heard of the movie boss baby. Yes, it comes out of this little suitcase with a student tie on. Yes, my parents said I I, I came out like that. Um, I've always been really serious. I mean, so much so, right? And I love wearing suits so much so that um, when we were getting our, our my parents were getting their taxes done, I wanted to wear a suit and tie as a little kid to go see the tax guy. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's I mean, cool. I've always been serious. I think growing up on the football field and seeing my dad and you know that made me serious and. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just born that way. It's kind of hard to explain, but I definitely think combination of you know that and um, the wheelchair and just stuff like that. I think that's why I've uh, matured faster. I think going through. I really think that maturity isn't a um, maturity. It has nothing. To, maturity has nothing to do with age, but maturity has to do with adversity and experience. I think at least, right? The more adversity someone goes through. I think the more mature they're going to be, right? It doesn't matter, you know, because, because look, I'm going I'm to keep it real. There's a lot of people who are like 30 years old who are very immature. And it's like, well, dude, you're like 30 years old and you act really immature. Where you have some kid who's like 16 who maybe they've struggled financially. Maybe they've 
um, lost their parents or divorce or just something that is significantly, you know, hard. And they're a lot more mature than that person that's 30 years old who's had it a privileged life. So I, I have noticed that around my, my friends and just people and, and my life. I like Bruce Lee's quote, ask not for an easy life, but the strength to handle a hard one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you listened or read to read any of Bruce Lee's books? No, I haven't. But that quote, I that sounds interesting because that sounds like what he's getting out there is that character is the most important thing in like a hierarchy of things to care about. And I would fully agree with that too. Um, it's one of the, the main lessons of uh, stoicism, right? Is that your character is is should be prioritized. I mean, it makes sense too, right? Um, kind of going into that, uh, if you're cool with that. Um, I'm cool with that. If you think about it, right? If you're if you're rich, having good character is important because you need to take good care of the money and use it in the right ways. Mm -hmm. If you're poor, having good character will help you endure that poverty, right? If you have so so, it's not a matter of being rich, right? That doesn't matter. If 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 it comes to health, right? You having good health, you want to have good character so you can you know take good use of it, right? If you're if you don't have good health, right? Someone like me, having that strong character will help you overcome that adversity or whatever challenge you're going through. So really all these things that people chase after, which could be good things. And it starts with them said that you can go after them as long as you don't put it in front of character. What that means basically is, um, you know, you want to get rich and you, let's say you have a, like, uh, I don't know, a, a kid or something. You wouldn't sell the kid in place of a Lamborghini or something like that, right? Because that's very bad character. That's like evil thing. That's an evil thing to do, right? So you want to put character um, first. Have you read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations? I have. I had. I love that book. Do you have any favorite parts of that book? Uh, honestly, I don't know. It's a good. Okay, let book. me tell you my favorite. Part. Okay, go ahead. So he gets up. So the very the whole first part of the book, oh, yeah, yeah. he is thinking. Dad, thank mom, thank Uncle Jimmy, thank every possible Look person. Look at it from like a bird's eye view type of thing, right? Where he says to, yeah. It, and it's all about appreciation, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have a lot of appreciation, it puts you at a certain state of being. 100%. So, so the whole first part of his book, he's thanking everybody for what they have taught him or what he has gleaned off of them. And then he talks a lot about the good. And a lot of, and his, his statements are a lot of people don't understand the good. Because they will try to manipulate, they will try to lie, they will try to mislead, they will try to take advantage, they will try to hurt, they will try to all of these things. Mm -hmm. But if somebody tries to hurt you, that is their own destiny. That's their character and that creates their own destiny, not yours. So if they lie to you, it's okay. And he says, for me to get mad at people for lying to me or misleading or hurting or all of these would be ludicrous for me to get mad at that. It's It would be the same as me getting mad at a fig tree for producing fig. Do you, uh, this is kind of, that's an interesting thing that you just said. Do you know if Marcus Aurelius was a determinist? Like scientific determinist? Like did he believe that everything was a matter of like destiny and fate? I don't believe so. I think that he I think that he'd believe, you know what? I don't know. That's that a, that's, a, that's the question. real answer. I don't know. I, I read it and he was a philosopher and he was being prepped to be the the emperor. So, and he had a very long time that he was being prepped. So he saw 
the political environment and how things happen. And he saw this person backstab that person who backstabbed him and all of mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. And he, when he took the reins, he ended up, he ended up doing very well. And so I don't, I don't know about him being a determinist. So if anybody out there knows better than I do, uh, I invite you to let us both know because I'm sure we'll look it up after this. Maybe yeah. if there's any record of him, you know, taking that stance on anything. So, but, but we all, so he's somebody that I have, and that helped me when I read it, it helped me with something that I was going through at the time. And so I was going through a lot of hard, hard, hard things for me to handle. And it was like, no, you know what? I can't get mad at that person because that person doesn't know. That, that's like me getting mad at a fig tree for producing a fig. I, that's ridiculous. So mm -hmm. people are going to do that. That's just people. But it doesn't have to be me. Somebody lies to me. It doesn't mean I have to lie to them. Mm -hmm. So and then so you so stoicism and you have anybody else that you like to mention or things that you've read that in terms of stoicism. Yeah, in uh, terms of stoicism. Epictetus. Yeah, definitely Epictetus. I um. <sighs> I mean, just hearing about uh, his condition, right? It's it, once again it plays on that I, that theory I have that people who um, suffer the most um, build like the best philosophies on life, right? He was a he was a slave, and I believe his slave master broke his legs, so he was crippled, right? And so it's weird. I find myself saying similar things to him, so it must be that experience of uh, living uh, with that level of adversity, but. Uh, in, ter in terms of not being able to walk. Um, so I really love him because, you know, he really places a strong emphasis on the idea of dichotomy of control, mm -hmm. right? Worry about what you can control, disregard what's outside your control. And the other really key part of this, right, is that a lot of things are not within our control, right? They're just not, right? I cannot make you like me. I can be nice to you. I can influence it, right, by how I act. And that is within my control. But ultimately, it's up to you. You can not like me for whatever reason, right? Um, this really helps you just, you know, get over things. Like, I cannot control that I'm in a wheelchair. I can control working hard to try and complete the cure for this disease. But I ultimately can't control it, right? I can try and influence, right? Just, you apply this to so many different things in your life, and it really um, removes a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, just wasteful thinking. Hmm. Are you familiar with the yogic culture? Uh, somewhat. I just started listening to a couple of different yogis. I, I read a book called The Autobiography of a Yogi. Um, opened up a lot of things about India and about... There's just so many things. I want to go to India now. I'm gonna mm. go. I'm gonna go check it out. I want to go find a yogi. I want to talk to him. I'm gonna see. Steve Jobs went there, right? And now I, I was reading his biography, and I, the stuff he learned there is fascinating. But yeah, yeah, I have been listening to a guy named Sad Guru. So Sad Guru, if you listen to this, I would love to get you on this podcast. Just saying that, but he has. He has some really interesting concepts that have been new to me that I hadn't heard from any of the other books that I've read. That I've read. One is that your mind is split up in, into basically four segments, 16 parts, but four, four main segments. And he says the first part is the intellect, right? In the Western culture, many of us 
live our whole life through our intellect. We are thinking and thinking and thinking and overthinking and thinking some more and then thinking about thinking and thinking about not thinking, but that means you're thinking. And that is the first part of your mind. The second part of your mind is your identity. And your identity is who you are. How do you see yourself? Are you an American? Are you white? Are you black? Are you Asian? Are you an artist? Are you a guitar? However the hell you want to identify yourself, you know? Guitar. Yeah, <laughs> I want a guitar. And, and the intellect is mainly used to dissect. If you want to see something, your intellect will dissect. Pull it apart, look at all the parts, and analyze mm. it, right? Mm. So your identity and what, what he refers to is a lot of people using that. So he refers to the intellect since it's sharp and it dissects as a knife. But your identity on what you decide you are and who you identify with is the handle for the knife. And in order for you to have a handle on things, you have to have perspective. And if you have perspective, then you can use the intellect to cut where you want it to cut, not just slicing and dicing, which is what a lot of us mm -hmm. go through. I know I can speak personally for that. Well, the third part, the third segment of your mind is the data. And that is all of the memories that you have from elemental memory to things that you've gone through and everything in between. And he talks a lot about your body having memory, not just your mind. And then the fourth part is the universal intelligence, the pure intelligence. And that's like our spirit. That's my, my interpretation of what that means. But it's really interesting to have a, a concept of different cultures and philosophies because what I've found is some people have cornered the market in this area of philosophy, in my opinion, but somebody else has a better corner of the market on this philosophy. And by reading all of these different peoples and seeing how they have, you know, come to come to their life problems and situations, it gives us tools and abilities to, to help with ourselves. So that's mm -hmm. why, anyway, that's, that's been an interesting learning, learning, what's the word? Uh, Experience process. Yeah, learning process, there you go. So, and then Bruce Lee, I thought I had a, my, uh, I have a, a journal, so Striking Thoughts by Bruce Lee, I think you should, I think that should be one of your next five books that you read is really freaking amazing. Gets into philosophy. He was my hero before. Now he's even more of my hero. Like that guy was only 32 years old and he has impacted the world in such a way that he passed away 43 years ago and he's still making a difference. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're on that same path. The same trajectory. So you just keep up the, the good work with what you're doing. <laughs> the man. next Bruce Lee. <laughs> hey, maybe. Uh, no, I'd know. love to make an impact like the uh, impact like that though in all seriousness. That'd be great, you know. So you like to spend time with your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You like to invest. Mm -hmm. You like to spend time with your friends. How is your relationship with your parents? Great. Love my parents. Uh we're very, very close. Um I mean very, very close. We eat dinner with each other every single day. I watch, you know, sports with my dad. That's what we like to do. Um, you know, my mom and I, we talk basically politics every day, right? We're very political people. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm like really, really close with my parents and I, I love my parents and I am very grateful for everything they do for me, 
for sure. You know, they, they definitely built me the way that I am. Um, your parents are definitely going to be one of the biggest influences on you and how you become because they, they're the ones who raise you, right? Um, so I'm very grateful for them. That's awesome, man. Living in appreciation is such a powerful thing, man. So let me ask you another question. What is the typical lifespan of somebody with Duchenne's? We yeah. didn't really get into that, but mm -hmm. that's just been something because, you know, for you to treasure the moments that you have, you know, what, what's the, we all have a very minuscule time on this planet. Mm -hmm. Some have shorter than others. Like my, my little brother passed away at 27. My best friend at, at you know, he was 30 and, or 30, maybe 32. I, I, I'm not sure exactly, but, but he was too damn young is the point. So what, is there a prognosis? Is it, mm -hmm. is it typical? Yeah. What, what is it? Yeah. Most people will pass away, um, mid twenties, right? So it's mid twenties. Yeah, that's correct. So it's very, very Holy serious, shit, very progressive. Wow. So I need to complete the cure now. So we, we better get on this like lickety split. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the thing though. I think this is what I would want people to know when it comes to the organization is that we can complete the cure. Right, like the official slogan, right, of Destroy the Shin is not find the cure. It's not let's hope for the cure. It's not the cure is a hundred years away. It's not we don't know how to cure this disease. It's it literally trademarked complete the cure. That's what the official slogan is. It's not a matter, like I said, of, of finding. It's a matter of getting it done. And there's really one thing that we have to figure out how to do, and then we completed it. Wow. Damn, then. So, politics. Mm -hmm. You talk to your mom about politics. That's correct, yeah. And, and don't you have some other podcast or something out there where you talk politics? What yeah, that? with my friend. It's called um, Middle Ground. And basically, so we debate, you know, uh, different issues from a left and right wing perspective and just leave out all the, you know, political nonsense, right? All the name calling, labeling, all that stuff. And we really just try to let the truth went out, let our reasoning and the facts, right? Present all that best arguments for the for the audience to, to listen to. And just, let, like I said, let the truth went out. So that's what that's about. Are you left or right? Uh, I tend to lean on the right. I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, so what are some of the arguments that you've had with your, so then your partner is the left, right? So what yeah. are some of the arguments you guys have had? Well, I mean, so we, uh, in all, in all fairness, we've, we, we've been running this podcast, but it was just like, we called it conversations with Brian and Elijah, but we now rebranded it to middle ground because we realized all we do is talk politics. So like, let's give it a more political name. Um, <laughs> but great. like the first one we did is probably the most controversial thing that you can debate, which is abortion. Right. So we oh, got wow. into We got into that. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I, so what are your thoughts on abortion? Oh, wow. Okay. Come on, man. Yeah, who cares? No, who gives a shit? We're here to talk and, good. and, and very good. Very be good. real. Yeah, so I think abortion, um, this is really interesting. Do you know uh, Charlie Kirk? I should, but I don't. The yeah, name sounds Charlie familiar. Kirk. Yeah, I just did a podcast with him too um, a couple weeks ago. And we, we did a, we talked about abortion. But yeah, I, I'm 100% pro-life for sure. Um, I think that really the argument is going to all hinge. Like if we're going to have an intellectual conversation about this, it's going to hinge on if it is life or not, right? And I think that if we're going to follow the science, science totally leads to this is definitely a life. Right. And I think that what we have really seen is we've seen this new, sh I mean, look, day 22, um, it has a heartbeat, right? Um, 
you know, it has its own blood type, it has DNA already. Um, really what I like to pose to people who are not, I mean, what's your stance on abortion? I don't know. I, my stance, see, I have a very unique situation as well. I had a, I had a son that was born as a 24-weeker, so he was born 16 months early. Mm -hmm. And he had a 10% chance of survival, and he had a bunch of surgeries that he had to go through. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that this podcast exists. He has impacted, that mm -hmm. situation has impacted my life so profoundly. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, he was a life. He was a life at 24 weeks. Mm -hmm. And guess what? He was a life before that. And so now, was he a life? Is there a question? In my mind, no. There's not a question. Yeah. If he has a heartbeat, in my, in my opinion, yeah. which is right here, in my opinion, he is a life. Now, what the rules of engagement are when you are a female and what I can dictate to you and not dictate to you, that's a hard one, man, because yeah, well, I see, there's, a, there's I, a lot of stuff. I, I, I see your stance, um, and I think that's a really cool story about your son, and that's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that it's impacted you. Um, but I think the whole idea, really, um, that you know, men or women, like men can't talk about it in particular, I mean, that's really a logical fallacy. That's an ad hominem. That's attacking my character of being a man and not mm -hmm. the idea of this is a life or not, right? Because right, right, right. If, if we agree that murder, the, yeah, mm -hmm. if, we, if we use some reasoning, if we agree that murder is wrong, uh -huh. and then we agree that this is a life, and then we're taking that life, then we are committing murder. If that is true, if these premises right, hold right. up, then the, the, the conclusion Using holds. the, Socr the yeah. Socrates, yeah. Socr Socratic method, right? That's what uh, deductive called. reasoning, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that that's what that is uh, when it comes to that. And so I really think that, you know, um, if we just go down the whole list, I think that all the reasoning, if we take emotion out of this, um, which is a very emotional thing, of course. if we are just really having an intellectual conversation, then I think that um, the arguments hold up. Okay. So, and then what other what other topics have you guys argued about? Yeah, so I mean... <laughs> Come on, I like this. This yeah. is good stuff. So, something else too, um, which I'm really into is, is philosophy and like metaphysics and meta ethics um and so meta ethics that's correct yeah. okay so um we debate all the time um basically the existence of god right does god exist mm -hmm. from an intellectual point of view not just well you know i was raised this way and this is what my belief is or no like like do we have good reasons to believe certain things right because really i'm the type of guy who just wants like and, and you said something earlier today which i thought like wow i never heard that before and it really like impacted me you said that I accept reality more than most people probably do, right? And I think that's really interesting because um, intellectually, I always want the truth, right? I don't want, oh, I'm on the right and I want my, my side to win. No, I, I want the best thing to win out. So if the left had something that's right, then I'm going to the left. It, I, I believe in God, right? For, for the reasons, and we can get into that, which I hope we do because I think it's so <laughs> awesome and fun. But if someone can prove to me that God doesn't exist, then good, I want them to. I want the truth at the end of the day. The truth is is at the hierarchy of what matters, in my opinion, right? And so um, we, we just let the truth uh, went out. But the, I, I bring that up is because like, yeah, there's something about me that like really just wants the truth at, at any cost, right? I just want to, I just want the best argument, the best, most factual thing that I can get. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to God, at the end of the day, my stance is that no matter how smart you are, mm -hmm. you still don't know shit. You can tell me intellectually, not you personally, mm -hmm. you as anybody out there, including myself, mm -hmm. you can tell me how the grass grows. You can break it down into the scientific method and you can yeah. give me all the big words. Mm -hmm. But why 
where does where where did it come from and why? You know. So do you believe in God? I do. Okay. Absolutely, hundred percent. Me personally. Because I want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to interrupt you. Well, well, this is interesting because so so ask me whatever the hell you want. Nothing is off the table, man. I, and and I'm doing the same to you, <laughs> and you can do the same back. So, the sage asked me a question. He says, Dad, how did the first person know that he had to drink water in order to survive? And it got me thinking, well, damn, son, that's a good question. Okay, so you have to answer a couple other questions to find that out. But how did the first person know they had to drink water in order to from the mouth of a, of a, of a youngster? Yeah. But what a profound question that was. So it Definitely. got me thinking a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know. And, and there are certain religions that have a religions that have a corner on the market on, on a certain thing that discuss mm. certain things that mm. other religions don't. Mm. And I have, I was born and I was raised in a Christian family. My mm. best friend was Catholic, so we would go to catechism. So I've experienced some of that. And my my dad, I didn't. He didn't ever really went to church. Uh, so he he was kind of a drifter on the side, you know, as far mm-hmm. as what he, we never really had religious conversations. Yeah. And so and then but I've had in business, I've had a mentor that was Muslim. Mm-hmm. I have a very good friend that's that's Jewish. Mm-hmm. I've read the Tao Te Ching and I've read different Buddhist context, yeah, yeah. you know, and I and so there's a lot of different philosophies that I'm familiar with. Definitely, but definitely. but at the end of the day we're all trying to figure it out. And the more someone tries to figure it out and have closure, the more questions arise. Mm -hmm. I have not answered all of those questions. And I don't think that you can with one specific uh, religion or context, but... Hmm. But again, yes, spit it out. Yeah, okay, I could good. be wrong. So what was that's, your question? That's now? good. Um, <laughs> that's an inter- So there's a lot I want to say on all that. I think that was really good stuff. Um, I think it's great that, yes, definitely we can, um, uh, basically kind of what you're getting at is, you know, we can all, like say I have friends that are atheist, Muslim, Jew, everything, right? Um, y- we can tolerate other beliefs, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they are true. Right. Um, and so that's that's a very, I guess that's a controversial statement. But I mean, look, I'm here for the truth at the end of the day. So, you know, that's what I want. I, I care about the truth. Right. I don't I don't care to be popular. I, I care to be right. I care for the truth. Right. Right. In that meaning. True. Um, but Do you think that there's more than one truth. No, there can't be. I mean, is that true? I mean, that's like, you know, some people think that truth is subjective. But when they say there's no such thing as truth. That is a truth claim that claims to be true. So it's already self-defeating. However, right? however, if we're if this guitar is in the middle of a of a corridor and I'm looking at it from the front and you're looking at it from the back. Different perspective, sure. Right, right. So so truth is based on our limited like the truth is the truth. It is a guitar. Yeah. No question. Mm-hmm. But from what we're seeing, from what I see, it's a it's a guitar and I see the strings, right? Yeah. It's kinda like um if you ever seen to to really illustrate your point. Um, if you have a a six on the floor, like literally, so right. I see a six and I see a nine. Exactly. Right. right? So that's why that's why I asked that. that yeah, that's um, that would be more into I think epistemology, right? How we know certain things, but it doesn't change the fact that there's something there on the floor, right? That we both see. But 
what I wanted to get at is science and God do not conflict, right? I, it's a popular belief today that people think that, okay, science disproves God. And I, I always ask them, well, what does that mean? Because I, I honestly, in, in my personal opinion, a lot of the times it just sounds like a cop-out because then I ask them and they don't really know. They don't really have a good reason. I actually think that science um, proves the existence of God or definitely adds to it. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of things like the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, uh, I, no. What is that? Okay, exactly. so it's a... It's, the Big Bang? It, it, it plays into that, right? Okay. So basically, it's a um, deductive statement. It basically says that um, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Right? That's premise one. Premise two is the universe began to exist, right? Therefore, the universe has a cause. And then upon analysis, if you look at, well, what would need what would be needed to cause the universe? It'd have to be something that is um, outside of space. It'd be something that's immaterial, um, something that is timeless, right? Time can't start. If, if time starts at one point, you can't say that the thing that started it is bounded by time, that, that, that self-defeating. Um, and, and so why, why does science get brought up here? Well, because on premise two, the universe began to exist. We, we know that by looking at the universe that it probably started about 13.7 billion years ago, right? We can measure the light and like, that's how we know um, it started because we, we, we could see that the universe is um, constantly expanding apart, right? So it must have mm -hmm. been at one point a singularity and then expanded apart, right? And so we, we constantly have good, good, like scientific evidence for that. There's also philosophical reasons to believe that the universe um, had a beginning of that it's finite, that it's not eternal. Right. And so that right there would be one argument for the existence of God. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't say any God in particular. That doesn't say if it's the God of Islam, the God of Christianity, the God of um, whatever. It's the guitar. Yeah. Right? It, it just it's says the that there there is a God, though. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of good um, arguments for it. My personal favor is what is called the moral argument. Okay. Um, and basically, there's different forms of this. But... Um, I'll give you the, the statement right now. It says that, um, well, well, I guess I guess some good uh, background to, to the moral argument is basically like, how do, you, how do you know that certain things are good, right? Like good is, is good an objective thing or a subjective thing, right? So if, if God does not exist, then objective values and duties do not exist. However, uh, premise two is that um, objective values and duties do exist, right? Therefore, so, God exists, okay. right? That that would okay. that, so you'd have to either disprove right, one or have, two, right? Or exactly. it logically follows. But how can you how can you prove or disprove? Is the problem? Yeah, you, you that's you, the problem. Well, you can, you can, you, you totally can. Uh, on premise one, right? If you say that, on so we have two views. We either have a supernatural view, or we have a naturalist view. So a naturalist view, right? We would say that okay, all that exists is just material things. It's just everything's just made up of basically atoms, right? On that view. Right, everything is bounded by physical laws. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, if that's the case, right, as Sam Harris, as Stephen Hawkins noted, right, and I can even sh tell you what books they noted this in, um, <laughs> you wouldn't have free will, right? And this is a really interesting thing to me. You wouldn't have free will, right? You would you're just a biological machine that is the product of your DNA and your environment. That's it. There's no you. There's no soul. There's no agency. Right. That's supernatural stuff. Right? There's no you. You're just a biological machine. If that's the case, right? Um, if you don't have the free will, if you can't ought to do something, right? Then they're not obligated to do it, right? There's no morality. Morality just doesn't exist on a naturalist view. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many other things that we can get into on that too. Like if you take evolution, for example, right? I'm not denying evolution, by the way, because I, I wouldn't. People, <laughs> I'm not denying it. But uh, what I'm saying is, on a purely 
on a naturalist evolutionary view, right? That all there exists is just material things. There's no supernatural. There's no God, but in and evolution, right? There, there's there's you could believe in God and evolution, but naturalist evolution, right? If you just do that, it's totally possible um, that we could have evolved differently. Charles Darwin's actually noted this, mm-hmm. or we would have different moral values, right? We would view things differently. So that's the case. Um, that it's best explained that if we're going to ground morality on something, it would be on a supernaturalist view. What that really means, right, um, C.S. Lewis notes this in his book, Mere Christianity. He basically said that, um, how do you know uh, a line is crooked if you don't have a straight line to compare it to, Mm -hmm. right? If there's no ultimate standard of good, then how can we really say something is bad, right? If you think that it's objectively good, and that's what premise two is, that objective things exist, or objective moral values and duties exist. Mm -hmm. And... uh, all you got to do is prove one, right? So, like, for example, um, torturing a little kid just for fun is objectively wrong. No matter what culture you live in, no matter what time period you're in, whatever, that is objectively wrong, right? If you say no, if you say no, it's not objectively wrong. That's just my opinion, right? right? Well, well, you could you could get you could go that you, you could, could you, you could, could do that because because well, because what is the context? So, for example, somebody had told me that. They were abused when they were a kid, right? Their mm-hmm. their father beat the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's bad. Just like exactly like what you're saying. Correct. However, he mm-hmm. then told me when his older brother went into the army, mm-hmm. he kicked everybody's ass. And he kicked everybody's ass because he got his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. So then when you get to that stage, it was training. And if you can... Go back to it and looking at it as training mm. because it hardened, toughened, or whatever. Then it just puts a different spin on yeah. it. So here, let me get into. Let okay. me get. Okay. So listen, you are way more advanced into all of those theories than I am. A lot of that stuff sounds really great. And here's the here's here's my problem with that. Okay. Presumption. It's one word. Presumption, and we presume that we know more than what we know and we presume more that and now all you know is what you know so that is that is everything however you don't know the most important things we just we can't i think that is the the problem that is the journey that is the the blessing of being a human because we are we are here with limited knowledge with mm-hmm. limited capability mm-hmm. and and the desire to know things that mm-hmm. we cannot know. Mm-hmm. And so we reach out as far as we can and we justify it with so many great philosophies and big yeah. words and thought, well thought through justifications to arrive back to the point where we don't know. And so I think that you're really, you're one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to, at your age especially. But, and I, and I'm not discounting a damn word you said, because it could all be a hundred percent truth. I am just throwing that out there because mm. I want to challenge you a little bit yeah, more because yes, you. you're not a hundred percent. Yeah. You haven't got me all the way. So, okay, good, so, good. so we we'll got keep, more to discuss. We'll keep going. We'll keep going with this then on that. Right. I think that's a really interesting statement. Um, you're right. We don't know everything, right? That is true. But we have to look at alternatives in my opinion we need to have some type of explanation i think at least if you are a true seeker then what is the best explanation right because we can look at all the alternatives i have showed you like especially on the moral argument 
if we look at naturalism, it's either naturalism or supernaturalism. There's, it's either one or the other. There's no third option, right? If it seems more plausible, right? If it seems that it's more realistic, more truthful, that it's that that supernaturalism makes sense. Well, then we should go with that, right? We shouldn't just go. Well, you know what? Let's just claim ignorance. We don't know, so let's just act like we don't know. Like, well, let's pick one and, and go because you have to conclude to something at the end so, of the day. So, so what about subjectivity? So, objectivity. Good, yes, you good. say you so, say objectivity. Yes, then there, there's objectivity. There's got to be God. So, moral so, subject uh, being subjectivist, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have that today. They have that view, um, and that would be good if you want to deny this argument, right? This one in particular, the moral argument for God's existence. Well, then you would have to either deny one or two, premise one or two. That would be good. You could deny two, right? I just think it's really hard to to deny that. Um, for example, we're having a conversation right now. So one, you could say, well, yeah, you know, other people, you can kind of look at it outward and say, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's my opinion that you shouldn't torture a little kid for fun, but that's just my opinion, you know, whatever. The thing is, is you think that morality is subjective. Then my question to you and anyone who's a moral subjectivist why do you expect people to behave a certain way towards you? Like you expect me to be honest with you right now, right? Being, we're having an honest conversation. We're being truthful, right? Uh -huh. If we're trying to be honest and truthful with each other, that right there is an objective moral value, right? And so um, that right there, you know, it just seems obvious. Like I, what I find really interesting is people who, when we get into these arguments and people who do not want to accept the conclusion, and I'm not accusing you of that, but oh I'm yeah, saying, totally. I, um, I believe. Listen, yeah. I believe in yeah, God. Yeah, so you, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely um, not discounting it. But some it. people who want to deny the conclusion, what I find is they will say things in philosophical debate, but then in reality, when they go to their day-to-day -day life, they, you know, they don't act like that. For example, some people say like, "Well, we don't know anything. We can't be certain of anything. Like, we just don't know anything, right?" Um, but then they, you know go about their day-to-day -day life and they act like things do exist, right? Or, um, like, I, I had a person once tell me that he's not certain that he exists himself. And I said, well, okay, that's interesting. Who's asking the question? Then? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but when it comes to moral subjectivism, <laughs> moral subjectivism in, in particular, uh -huh. um, you may say, well, yeah, it's all just a matter of opinion, right? My opinion of how we should treat people and whatever. But then the thing is, is you go around every day Especially on Twitter. I see you on Twitter. I see you um, on social media. You know, if you're You being somebody that's arguing this point. Yeah, or, like me. Someone, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they go, um, they go, oh, this person's so bad, they shouldn't have done that, or I can't believe this politician said that, and they act like these things are objectively bad. Why are you acting like it's objectively bad when you don't think that objective values and duties exist, right? It's just their opinion. It makes, it's literally like, if, you, if you're an immoral subjectivist, what this really means is it really means that you, you know, you think torturing a kid for fun is bad, that's just your taste. That's just, you like chocolate ice cream, I like vanilla. I mean, that's literally right. what it is, it's just an right. opinion. And you're saying bullshit. Because there are certain things that uh, that bad is bad. Exactly, and and yeah. we both know that. We just don't want to, you know. We both act like that, and really, how you act is how you believe, right? And so, no one really believes it. So the the argument is really, um, re I think, really sound, um, really good, and and it's one of those arguments that affects your day to day life, right? The cosmological argument, you know, how the universe, um, how did it come into existence? Well, you don't really have to think about that every day, right? But how you treat people, you do that every single day. Right. How you're treating me, how I'm treating yep. you, yep. right? We do that every single day. So, again, you can convince me that there is a God on paper. Okay. Intellectually, using 
deductive reasoning, using the Socratic method, using whatever tools that you pin me down and damn it, I have to admit that there's God. So I'm gonna say, bam, I admit that there's God. Okay. But inside, I may, I may still not believe there's God. Okay? Okay. Rule reversed. Okay. My personal situation. When I heard all of that stuff when Sage was gonna, gonna be born and 10% and he was gonna most likely have birth defects and then most likely be blind and really consider the doctor's gonna ask me if I want nature to run its course, I should re really consider that. And I lost my shit. I started crying out loud. I was in a lobby in, uh, in New York and I called my mom and I'm like, and then I'm like, no, you do everything you can to do everything you can to save my son. And, and I had one of those helpless moments and I prayed to God out loud, God, please save my son. Please don't let him be born tonight. Mm -hmm. I will do everything I can to be a good man and to do good things. And so I made deals. Now, Sage is in there and he's eight years old, seven years old. Wow, time flies. He's seven years old. He's not eight yet. Seven and a half if you ask him. And that to me is nothing to do with intellectual, has everything to do with the personal experience. So I believe in God. I believe there's a God because of my personal experience of what happened with me. Mm -hmm. I can't recreate that experience for you. You have to have your own experience. And then it's kind of like purchasing something, right? We buy on emotion and then we justify with facts. And it's similar in, with God. Now, what, where I get caught up in, in things is, is to me, it's all about layers and it's a spectrum. And I don't understand all of the different wavelengths and I can't see all of the colors and I'm very limited in my capability of understanding all of that. So I revert back to my feeling. I don't, I, I take that out of my, out of my intellect because I don't believe I can truly understand that. And then I, I own it in my heart and that's where I personally feel that. So, but again, I can't give you that experience. Now, obviously you've had an experience that has made you believe in God. I well, maybe not obviously. See, this is where presumption comes in. We have all these assumptions, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, we don't really know because we don't talk about everything that we're thinking. We just make, we jump to conclusions so we can get on with our day. Mm -hmm. Have you had an experience, if you drill down how do you, aside from all of the arguments, do you believe in God? And what happened to where you made that distinction? Yeah, so, I mean, I was raised Christian, um, but, you know, 11 years old is when I really started, okay, well, why is this true? And started really looking up, like, reasonings and stuff like that. So, really, um, I would say maybe I'm, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe I'm trying to convince myself of this, but I, I truly do believe, like, no, I... Look at this really from an intellectual point of view. I mean, all the time I'm trying to um, ask questions that 
uh, I don't want to say challenge God, but question to better understand him. But really, I mean, I'm open to someone disproving God. Like, let's let the best arguments go at each other and let's see what the, tr you know. Yeah, so I'm constantly yeah, totally. doing that all the time, all the time. And I'm reading opposing sides and stuff. Um, I just think it's, it, it takes, you know, uh, there's a title of this book. It's pretty good title, but I think it takes more faith to be an atheist, an atheist than it does to be someone that believes in God, at least. But I definitely have had experiences. Uh, I would say that I think are God, right? Those personal experiences that you are talking about, for sure. Uh, but really, I don't, um, because you can put this on the reverse. I don't really ground my belief in God on that because there could be times where you're- You can have indigestion. You're frustrated. <laughs> you're, you're mad at God. You don't want to believe in God. But then logically, you know, wait, God exists. So why would I deny logic? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Have you heard of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance? That sounds interesting. I've, I've no, I haven't though. Very interesting. You're gonna love that one. So right next to Bruce Lee, you're gonna need to get that Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. But you're gonna have to send me these. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. This guy goes. He just goes to left field on talking about quality, and he talks about objectivity and subjectivity. Mm. And where does that come from? What is quality, right? So I can look at this guitar and, and I can say, that is a damn nice guitar. You can look at that guitar and you say, that is an ugly damn guitar. Yeah. Right? Subjective so we're both taste, subjective, yeah. right? But at what point, there's also objective qualities of the guitar. The wood. Mm -hmm. It's a guitar. It's, it's a guitar. <laughs> and so, so there are objective and subjective qualities on this same instrument that we're both looking at and so what his whole thing is is about where subjectivity meets objectivity it raises to another level and that is the dimension of quality and he goes in a lot more detail and it'll be something for your overactive mind to chew on and i think you'll get a lot of information good information about that it it's just all about perspective right and so again what I try to do is I try to step back and look at things in my own context. So I come at it through a feeling approach mm -hmm. and you come at it through a thinking approach. Both of them are okay. Uh, one has a better stance in a particular situation than the other and vice yeah, versa. Probably, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Montaigne is another philosopher that talks about uh, presumption, the presumption of man. And that's another interesting thing that that, that guy was a French philosopher and uh, just one of the most real. When you read his stuff, you're like, well, I could totally relate. I think that is another thing. I think me and you should swap books, man, because yeah. you have a lot of really interesting insights that I haven't really heard discussed. And you've obviously spent some time getting those arguments right. So I, I I mean, it sounds like you you would win any debate that you get into with that, man. <laughs> I love you. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love this stuff. Um, something I also didn't mention is, um, you know, I run a, a Monday night Bible study, um, oh. which is interesting, but a lot of it, the culture that's built there is really question seeking. You know, I fully disagree with the whole idea that if you ask a question of what does this mean in the Bible, this doesn't sound real. I think that's good, good, because now we can address it and try to come up with an intellectual 
reason to answer your question. Maybe we won't have an actual answer, but maybe we'll have a, a better theory that's satisfying for you. Right, sound. I don't agree with the whole thing of oh, why you question God or you question the Bible. I don't agree with that at all because that just blind faith, right? Like, no, right. let's let's really do it. So everyone that comes there, we, you know, non-believers come, people of different uh, religions come. And it's really just a big truth-seeking type of thing. And, and it's really cool because um, everyone there, you know, asks those questions and stuff like that. So uh, I bring that up though, because I, I do teach lessons on this stuff um, from time to time. I Last Monday, I gave a, um, a, a lesson, which is called the Aristotelian Proof which is really, really interesting. It basically says, um, basically it's it's this, like if you do believe change occurs, then God exists, right? If I go down the whole argument, the, o- the only way for you to deny um, the conclusion that God exists is if you deny that change occurs, which I think is right. too intellectually right. expensive for someone to deny. Right. And then again, but it goes back into the, into the spectrum of what God is, right? I guess that's maybe another conversation of how how do you define God? How do you define God? Because if me and you went to the same church for 30 years and we sat next to each mm-hmm. other in the same pew <laughs> and heard the same preacher, yeah, my interpretation of God is going to be different than your interpretation of God. Yeah, I, I, I do see uh, why you could say that. Um, I do think like when you get more into it, so if we disagree, right? If we agree supernaturalism is true, we agree that God does exist. Okay, good. Now we can move on. And then we want to get into which God is true. That's we, the second part of the get, yeah, 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 I can do that too, right? That's I love that part too. But um, but I definitely think that God, if you wanted to find it, God is some is something that is worthy of worship, right? Um, that right there. And, and something that... And if you do the implications of that, something that is worthy of worship is perfect. It's not lacking anything. Something that is lacking something that's not worthy of worship, right? And so that's why God is is perfect. And if you just keep going down it, you know, I think that another way to define God would be a spaceless, timeless, um, immaterial, perfect being, right? Something along the lines of that. Um, and so when you get those divine attributes, then that's how these arguments, you know, work, as I said. You know, and just to add to that, so how in my own personal view, God is the creator mm-hmm. because we are in a creation. And what is what I've been what I've been toying with in my mind is my ability to create. Yes. Fascinating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go Isn't go ahead with cool? go go with go with this. <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. Well, the whole thing about about human expression and about creating art. Like I'm going to have another sign up there that says make good art because I had, I listened to Neil Gaiman give a a speech to a college and he, and he made a lot of good points that make good art anyway. So I've gone down this road of art and what is art and what is expression? And really it is connected to God. In my opinion, art is the soulful transmission of passion of it's our reflection it's the reflection of my soul that i put out and it's the most tangible thing that somebody else can can see and my creating talk talking about somebody that's perfect or something that's worshipable worshipable is to me by creating art and doing good things now you can create art with drawing with speaking with whatever it is mm-hmm that is my offering and that is my respect and that is my gratitude and appreciation for my maker for me to make 
other things that are good and to continue that mm -hmm. that thing. So it's just a it's just an interesting little philosophy that I've started to develop in my own mind. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's interesting you bring up art because I was talking to some people actually from uh, we call it Monday service, uh, Monday service. And like, you know, it says in the Bible, right, if you go down that, it says that we were created in God's like, li likeness and his image. And so that's interesting because like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, that's a, that's a big <laughs> statement itself. Like, what does that mean? Um, but I think that one of the things that makes us distinct from other species is that is our, our creativity. So our ability, our ability to imagine things, right? And so it doesn't say that animals were created in his image, right? It says that we were. So is that... Is it, is it that part that, is that what that means? That we are able to create, like, is it that higher level of consciousness that we have compared to other species? Um, because, you know, God, right, could also be defined as a mind, right? There's there's a fascinating, yeah, there's fascinating arguments about, about that too, which I think are really cool. But um, yeah, God, if God is a mind, you know, we're creating his image, like, and we all have minds of ourselves. And that's what, what seems to be different from, you and a dog, right? Um, one of the major differences, right? I, I think that that could be, that could be a good uh, explanation of what that verse or part of the Bible means. So, my question is, with with all of your understanding from the Bible mm -hmm. and your active intellect, what do you think? the best most effective way to, or or do you think that that is part of the solution is including god in applying this cure or applying in the process of this cure is god part of that is god part of that is it is it uh, you know are your emotion what like what's the spectrum do you think is the is the best way to tackle this problem. Is uh, it to complete the cure for addition? Yes. Well, I definitely think that, yeah, God, you know, definitely has a, a role in this. You know, God, if he wanted, he could just cure me today. But there's obviously a reason why he wants me to go through this. I don't know why that is. Um, maybe it's because now I draw more attention to myself. I mean, being totally realistic, I draw more attention to myself, being in a wheelchair, and, and I'm curious about God and have these arguments and this knowledge, and now I can spread his word because of that. Maybe that's an explanation. Or maybe, I don't know. But I definitely think that God will play a role. If he wants to open the doors to raise more money, to open science, to allow the science to work for, allow us to have the knowledge to fix the last problems, to complete the cure, I definitely think that God can do that. Um, so, you know, I think that, yeah, definitely God plays a role in it, if that if that's your question. What about attitude? Like, What do you think the the role of attitude is in the, in the cure? For you, for you personally, let's talk about you personally. Like the idea of having a medication or something that somebody can take that it cures it. Okay, that's that's fine. That's gonna maybe happen at some point, but I'm talking about you personally. If you were gonna cure, if you're God, okay? Knowing what you know, because you said some very interesting things about you having this disease and being in a wheelchair because mm -hmm. then you do get more attention and you're able to make a bigger impact because more people are paying attention. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. So my question is also your attitude because I see your attitude. I think you have a, gr a great positive attitude. And mm -hmm. my question to you is if you're sitting, if you're God and you're sitting next and you're looking at Elijah. Okay. 
and you're saying, hmm, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some good stuff for you, but you're gonna have to go through some challenges. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm gonna make it happen for you. What advice would you tell yourself? What it, or what would you want Elijah to strive for? What would you want him to think about? If you're God, yeah, and you're sitting and I, so, and you're telling Elijah, yes, I'm gonna make it happen for you, but you gotta go over some bumps. But this is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to do, mm-hmm. and this is when I want you to see things. How I want you to see things. What would you? Tell yourself. Well, yeah. If, I mean, if I had the title of God and I was God, um, I, I couldn't even answer that question because God is an infinite intelligence and I'm a finite mind trying to... This is where imagination comes in. I don't so think, use your imagination. But I, I don't think I could. I think that what I could say that is if I was looking at this from another point of view or someone else, I could look at it from that point of view, but okay. I, I just, I could not say... Okay, uh, let's say you're God's, God's uh, number one angel. <laughs> I, still, I still couldn't answer that. Um, I still couldn't answer that, but let's say I was a give, powerful, give a, me a, stab a, at a, power, it. a powerful person, maybe, right? Okay, that sure. has accomplished something. And so your question is, what would, if I was them, what would my advice be, right? Right. How would I? How would you tell them to handle this, to tackle this problem that they're up against? To be honest with you, um, I think it would probably be hard to give someone advice that goes through this if you're not going through anything similar to it. Um, to be completely frank, I, I don't, I don't know. That's a hard thing to do. How are you going to give advice to someone that, you know, uh, got bullied and struggled to walk since they were five, and then at eleven they went into a wheelchair, and while they're doing that, um, they also have in the back of their mind that they could die when they're like twenty-five. Like I don't know how are you going to tell someone? How are you going to give them advice? It's going to be hard to do. Um, I'll say this: what I give advice to other people with my disease or my brother or other people is. Um, is, you know, I, I tell them about the dichotomy of control, stoicism. I think that is massive. I think that's huge. Gratitude is another big one, right? I constantly think, you know, th- this is a bad situation, but it could be worse. And I'm grateful for the things I'm having. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my, my girlfriend. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for those things, right? Um, so I think that is what I would tell someone um, off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's good advice. I was just pulling out of you, man. Yeah. I wanted I wanted to get a good, uh-huh. you know, powerful statement because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're right. Nobody nobody knows unless they experience it. But I asked you because you have experienced it. You know from a personal standpoint of what you've been through. And I did a similar exercise with me that has helped me get to this point where I'm at. Spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually, if you want to say that. Uh, but it was doing an exercise where I put myself in, you know, if I was on my deathbed, maybe maybe that's how I should have approached the question with you. If mm. you're on your deathbed mm-hmm. and you're about to kick the bucket, you got one last sentence left in you mm-hmm. and you are sitting next to Elijah right here, right now. That's what would you tell yourself? Um, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you're about to die? That's why I think thinking about God and those questions are so important, right? Because if I'm right on that situation, if I'm right, like my, me personally, my, my belief, well, then good. If I'm wrong, right? Like th- this is, I think that is probably the most important question, whether whether God is real or not, right? That is the most important question because like I said, if I'm right, then everything changes. But if I'm wrong, then nothing happens. So you would tell yourself, today's Elijah. That's the one giving the advice. You would tell today's Elijah to 
except Jesus Christ. Yeah. If you're if you're if I'm on my deathbed, yeah. Right, but you're on your deathbed telling yourself now. So so there's two Elijahs. Oh, there's so the Elijah that's on the deathbed that's hmm. about to die. Yeah. That's got one last piece of advice. To present day Elijah. To present day Elijah saying, yeah, I don't hey, even know. That's a that's a interesting question. I don't know what what I tell my that's a wow, we're we're getting really advanced now. <laughs> so in the future, I'm on my deathbed. What would I tell 19-year-old Elijah today? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not on my deathbed. And there's so many <laughs> things I'm going to go through that will probably change my my experience and my advice. Um, I know uh, one maybe, thing. Uh, maybe that's I'm, I'm being too. I This was my personal experience. So, you know, it's, it doesn't work the same for everybody. I was going through a very rough time in my life where I felt like the world was just closing in on me and I was numb to a point and I didn't understand and I was questioning God why why is this happening to me on so many fronts it's not just one thing it was a bunch of things and I just couldn't understand it and my coping mechanism was for me to think about if I was on my deathbed because that then I would have a different perspective right now I think the world's closing in on me but if I was on my deathbed, that means I'm going to get out of this thing that I'm going through right now. And what kind of enlightening advice could I give myself at this point? Because I was struggling. So that is the context that why I created that little practice, that little uh, mm. thing. So that that's so it's not something that you have to obviously answer right now, but it helped me through a very rough time. Maybe in the future, if you are struggling through a very rough time. That might be something, a little practice that you can try. Mm -hmm. Might be enlightening in a certain way. Yeah. No, I, I think um, what you're kind of getting at is like the uh, emotional aspect of, of God. Like, why do certain things happen or why is my life this way or whatever? And that's kind of why, like I said, I ground my belief in God on an intellectual, logical basis. Not so much my personal experience because life could get really hard and then you just want to, you know, blame God or act like, you know, he doesn't exist or whatever. But if that, if the truth is that God exists, then there's no reason why you shouldn't believe in him unless you just want to deny the truth, which is, I don't know why you'd want to do that. Right. Uh, man, I love it. I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm learning a lot from you and it's, it's great to have this little debate. I'm just trying to think, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that? My book. So what do you mean your book? Yeah, so I wrote a book when I was um, basically 16. The whole book is a lot of the things we talked about, gratitude, dichotomy, of, like, okay, we got a lot to talk about on this, so let's talk about this. So my book, I wrote it when I was 16, um, and it's a memoir of my life, right? And the way the book works is really, really cool. It's a life story. It goes throughout my whole life. And at the end of each chapter, there's a life lesson that I learned that I think that the reader can learn and get a lot of value out of. So one of those lessons is the dichotomy of control, where I explain, you know, the ancient Stoic belief, because that has really helped me. Another lesson is about gratitude. You know, um, another le lesson is about the self-image, how you view yourself, right? Very big on that, because, you know, as someone that um, is in a wheelchair, it could get very easy for me to just be shy and, and not confident and see myself as this burden or whatever, but I don't see myself as that. I see myself as a very confident person, someone that can make a huge difference for humanity and and stuff like that. So it's really how you see yourself and how you see yourself is going to then change how you act, which is then going to change how people see you. 
So it's like a constant cycle, right? So I think it's really good. Um, and then at the end of the book, right? So you have all these stories, life lessons. And at the end of the book, you have um, the science of, like I said, CRISPR and what we're trying to do with George Shin. So it's a really, really cool book. And I think that this book is more of a tool that could be used to make the Shin known and more importantly cared about. And that could play a big, big role in um, completing the cure for the Shin. But I think the book, just reading it, could just really help people with their day-to-day -day life, with becoming a, a developing stronger character and stuff like that. Um, the book is titled A Small If, right? And I, I want to explain that, right? This is the, the important part. So when, and this is really why I, I wrote the book to begin with, where I got the idea. So when I was 16, I went to my doctor's, right? Orthopedic doctor. And, you know, he, he does the x-rays on my spine. And it's really common with people with shin to get scoliosis, you know, your back muscles get weaker and so that holds your spine up. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting worse and worse, but I never really took it too seriously. And what happened during this this one was um, this doctor's appointment is they looked at the spine and it curved so much that I would now need to get spinal surgery, right? Where they put a metal rod in your back to straighten it out. And this is really common with people with the shin, right? And so I kind of always denied until this day. And so he's really pushing in, you know, I look over and I see my mom crying. My dad's got his head down, you know, they're all sad. He's starting to get real serious about it. He's explaining, you know, we have a bunch of doctors who do this all the time during the summer. We'll do it during the summer because we want to avoid a flu season. You know, they do this all the time. It's a really good group of people. Um, he's getting real, real specific with it. So I know he's very serious. And so then I was like, hey, you know, could I just have the surgery? You know, I'm smiling as my mom's crying because in my mind, like my whole life has really consisted of this where people tell me I can't do something and then I go and do exactly that, right? And so I'm like, okay, um, can I just not have to have the surgery? And he's like, well, you know, you don't have to, but I, I, as my, as your doctor, I want to put my foot down and really encourage you to get the surgery. You know, I'm supposed to. And then I was like, hey, you know what? If I was able to reverse my spine. Could I then avoid having to get the surgery? I don't want to get the surgery. I don't want to have a metal rod on my back. That sounds scary. It sounds, don't want it. And he's like, once again, you know, I don't want to give you any false hope. I've never heard of anybody doing that, right? It's basically a medical impossibility. He's never heard of anyone reversing the, their spine being that crooked and then straightening it out. He's like, but knowing you and your character, I will give you a small if to be able to do that. So from that, that's, as soon as I heard that, I thought, okay. Good. So um, I started doing everything. I started going to physical therapy. He signed me up for physical therapy. Went there twice a week. Sometimes, you know, I'd be on the mat really working out and stuff. Um, sometimes they'd strain me out, like my legs and stuff, and it would hurt so bad that I'd just bite down on my shirt because I wanted it that bad. I mean, I wanted to do this. It was not even just I wanted to avoid the surgery. It's like I wanted to prove. And I love my doctor, but I wanted to prove my doctor wrong. Like I wanted to do the impossibility. I love that. I get fired up when people say I can't do something. I get so much motivation to do it, right? I, I call that lesson in my book, Rocket Fuel. Uh, I'll have to explain that. But so I did that. I, I even taught myself how to cook in my wheelchair, right? So I'd be cooking. So I learned how to do it, you know, driving the chair, washing my hand, you know, so like all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, I wanted to eat healthier because I, I thought if I lose some weight, it might relieve some of the pressure off my back. I took the x-ray, hung it up on my, my bedroom door, 
So every morning I would remember, okay, that's my mission for today is to, to do something to improve my spine, right? I would literally visualize myself making my spine straight. I'm a very big believer in visualization. Um, and um, I even visualized all the hard work that I'd have to go through it. Um, I visualized my spine being straighter. And I even visualized celebrating and how it would make me feel once I pulled this off, right? And so I visualized myself getting a big Oreo shake at the Shake Shack in Newport. Um, it's kind of by where my doctor is. And so four months later, after I'll give you a small lift, I go to the doctors. I'm confident. I'm smiling. I got off the x-ray um, table smiling and like fired up. Like I'm, I, I basically took this as like a sport. Like I was just fired up. <laughs> I love right? it. I, you know, we go by going into the my my room, my doctor's room, and I see my doctor looking up at a screen, and he's like looking up at it in awe. And I'm like, yeah, I, I already know this is gonna be straight. He pulls up on in my office or in the doctor's office, and I see the the spine, and it definitely looks straighter. And I'm like, that's definitely straighter. Um, and you know, he comes in, he looks at, it, he's like, yeah, you, you did it, you pulled it off. It's definitely straighter. So just like I visualized you, we went to Newport, got that shake, right? And celebrated at the Shake Shack. So that's why the book is called A Small Lift because really my whole life has been like that. And really, it might be a small lift to complete the cure for Duchenne, but all I need is a possibility to do the impossible, right? And that sounds like a contradiction, but like, you know, it's supposed to be an oxymoron. But, um, you know, things that seem like you shouldn't be able to do, you just got to find that small sliver of like possibility and just hold on to that and just go all at it right so that's where that's why the book is called a small lift man that's a great that's a great thing to end on because what a what a uh profound anybody listening to this podcast I'm so happy about this podcast. They're going to not, not from anything that I said, but you were great. So <laughs> this is, this is a good thing. Now, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, where, how are they going to find you? Yeah. So there's uh, many different ways. Um, I would say that you can follow me on social media. It's at Elijah J. Stacy on all my social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Right, you can just search my name, Elijah Stacy, Elijah John Stacy, um, or my, you know, uh, what is it? Your handle at Elijah J Stacy, or you can follow Destroy Dishin, the organization. Uh, it's at Destroy Dishin on social media, um, or you can go to the website, destroydishin.org, and Dishin is uh, D U C H E N N E. Okay, and we will have notes. We will have show notes. So anybody. If you didn't remember how to spell that word, just look it up on the website and we'll give you that information. Elijah, thank you so much for visiting and I really appreciate the lessons. And I hope whoever listens to this is gonna, there's gonna be a fire lit and maybe they're gonna say, well, just give me a small if. Yes, yes definitely, <laughs> definitely. All right, well, you heard it, people. Thank you for listening and tuning in. And until next time, au revoir.